to Inside Sponsorship, the show that provides sponsorship professionals with advice, insights and news so they can maximise their commercial programmes and achieve best practice. Airlines have been major players in the sponsorship space for some time and their affinity with sports, fashion and other major events makes sense considering some of their passengers travel to not only these events but also for business and other leisure activities. Further, a lot of airlines in the sponsorship space have a global footprint and they're transporting passengers both in and out of their home country. So their audience isn't just locals who are attending events in country. It's also those traveling from outside their home country to attend the events. Finally, add to that how the travel industry has become so much more accessible to the world's population and utilizing sponsorship in their marketing makes sense for a lot of airlines. One airline that has been very active in the sponsorship space is AirAsia, a Malaysian low-cost airline. It is the largest airline in the ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, by both fleet size and destinations. AirAsia Group operates scheduled domestic and international flights to more than 165 destinations spanning 25 countries. Amazingly, they have been voted the world's best low-cost airline for the past 11 years running. Ben Ringer is Regional Brand Manager and joins us later on in the show to take us inside sponsorship at AirAsia with a real focus on how they are involved with the ever-growing esports sector. I'm Daniel Oyston and welcome to episode 72 of Inside Sponsorship. It's amazing having you tune into the show and no matter where you are in the world and what your connection to sponsorship is, I hope you are really killing it right now. One person who is no doubt killing it right now is Jane Robertson, Commercial Manager at CSM Sport and Entertainment. Jane has had a shout out on the show before, but she recently got in contact to suggest a guest and a topic for the show. And that is absolutely awesome that she took the time to reach out like that. I really appreciate it. Interestingly, while she still loves the podcast and thinks they're great, obviously, She did say that since listening to them, she actually tries to go to as many networking events as possible because rights sales can be at times a challenging space to work in. So putting a face to a name and building trusted relationships makes life much easier, she said. Great work, Jane, and thanks for getting in touch. And we'll start working on that suggested topic and guest for you and for everyone else. Also joining us on the show to discuss his latest blog is Core Software's Director for Customer Strategy and Success, Australasia, Sam Irvine, who, after having watched an unhealthy amount of football, ponders the question, airline sponsorship. Surely they do more than just football. Here's Sam. Sam, it's been a while since we've had you on the show. What have you been up to? I've been palming off all the wonderful content to Daniel Ferguson Hill, actually. <laughs> Our favorite listener. <laughs> oh, no, I've just a couple of weeks ago, but I, I just got back from the US visiting our wonderful brethren over in New York and Denver. It Good trip, fantastic. productive trip. Uh, unbelievable, yeah. It was uh, two baseball games, yeah. which were work events. Yeah. And, uh... Oh, you don't <laughs> slip that in, work events. <laughs> no, the, uh, I, I, anyone that will listen, I've told them all about how how well the US do fan engagement. We all know that, but it was so good to actually feel it and be part of it and actually see what you'd heard so much good stuff about. So that was really cool and, and never done New York before. So getting to, to see and feel that city was, was really cool as well. And from all reports, New York is still recovering from your visit. <laughs> now, something else you've been doing is watching a lot of football, European football particularly. Yeah. Um, for those who know me, they'll, they'll know I'm going to harp on about Liverpool here where possible. Champions they win the, they win the comp this year? <laughs> they, won, they won the big one, the Champions League. I, 
Yes, I have been. And and it, that really sort of hit me around the finals of the Champions League, around the finals of the Premier League competition in particular. And and I, I can't just sit through a sporting competition and not take into account all the branding, all the adverts, all the LEDs. It's impossible now, isn't it? Your brain just ticks over and ticks over. And then you're like, what's been happening in the yeah. football for the last five minutes? I've been watching the, the LED panels roll, rotate over. So two big sponsors that you've been that that came to front of mind were Etihad Airways and Emirates. What did it get you thinking about? Well, it got, got me thinking that it's one industry that is really big worldwide. Basically, every country in the world has its own particular national airline. But also, there's some really big players in the global market, such as your Etihads and, and Emirates and even Qantas at times as well. But it got me thinking, why and, and how do airlines sort of work in their commercial partnerships nowadays? Is it um, purely after blue chip brands? And also, are, are they just doing sport? Have they always just done sport? I really wanted to delve a little bit into what areas and what industries do do the airlines actually work in and see if there are any trends very good so let's start with our national airline Qantas the flying kangaroo what'd you find out about Qantas so what I thought was instead of trying to be as as broad as possible I'd pick some some bigger airline brands across the world and and it was impossible not to start with Qantas and I guess being an Aussie we we see a lot of of the branding around our cricket team our our rugby teams we see a lot of their involvement with the uh, Australian Olympic Committee and we also even see it even at, at that next level sort of down with Football Federation Australia. So they still have a really, really big involvement in sport. What I found though was that they are really diverse with what they do in the community as far as, far as arts, as far as um, charity work, community work. And so then even though sport still plays what feels like a, you know, a big major role, there's definitely a good spread and a, and a good role they do with individual ambassadors and a, a bit of a different space. So Qantas definitely taking sport seriously, definitely a huge focus upon Australian national brands and uh, you know couldn't really so, see so much around partnering with international rights holders. Which some airlines do and we'll, we'll get to that later. What about the, uh, the partnerships? What are, they, what are the objectives that Qantas is trying to achieve there? Well, I really feel like, you know, a bit of it, it's around brand positioning. A lot of it really comes back to being smarter around sort of building that community engagement and relationship building. And that's where they've utilized a lot of those community partnerships as well. So there definitely feels like there's a slight twist in, in objectives compared to their sporting relationships, which are a big branding play, brand alignment, those types of things, um, building their own audience, and then using those community relationships to really tailor and, and, and complement the sporting partnerships i think very good so that's Qantas. a big tick for Qantas. what's next who's next well i couldn't go past eddie had given the the big role they have particularly in city football groups so manchester city new york city melbourne city etc and they used to play a really big role in supporting horse racing here in australia they also had some big sponsorships around you know they were the naming rights partner of the stadium down in melbourne eddie had stadium and we've, what we've seen, I think, over the last few years is a bit of a contraction by them in that space. They've started to be a little bit more centred and around the City Football Group and how they can partner there. But also what we start to see as well is their involvement with uh, the actual art space and the fashion space. They've really taken a big play. And one of the cool things, it's it's not that recent, but they have they did a really cool activation with, with a group of models and they call it the Model Diaries. And they really put a, piece of con a big piece of content around what it looked like for the flying models all around the world and the different art shows they're involved with and things like that. So it was 
a tweak or a, a different way of speaking to a I guess a really different market space than what sport would normally give them. And it's a high society focus. Does that change the objectives that they would be focusing on rather than someone like Qantas with their more community and arts-based partnerships? Yeah, I think the the impression I got from Eddie Had, and I'll sort of loop in Emirates in this space too as well, was that they were definitely focused upon those blue chip rights holder opportunities, right? They're not just working with every soccer club. They're working with the biggest in the world. They're not just working with any arts organization. It's um, it's models, it's international events, et cetera. And so I, I definitely I would say their objectives there are more placed around brand, brand sort of alignment, more so than community engagement. So you're not engaging with the community so much through City Football Group, but you're definitely putting yourself in a particular position in front of eyeballs. So Very good. You just mentioned Emirates. Let's hit them next. So uh, it's funny, Emirates, uh, my mind goes back to the 99 World Cup when Australia oh. had fly Emirates on their jersey. And I think it was the World Cup. It was around then. And, it, and I had no idea. What is fly Emirates? What even is the Emirates? It's a bit, a bit naive. Do you not pay attention camera. in school? 99. I was pretty young then. So You're Like when's I lunch? Think, yeah, yeah, I think for me it was the first real play for international airlines outside of like your British Airways that that you might have heard of as a, as a youngster. So for for us as Australians, I th- I think it was the biggest exposure we got to an international airline using one of our national brands, our national sporting brands, to to tell a story and and engage us. And since then, you know, they've played a really big part in. You know, they're obviously a big partner in football brand Arsenal. But they also do some really cool things around the Australian Open, some really cool things around horse racing. But they've definitely made a big play globally to talk to global rights holders that have more sort of spanned outside their actual countries of origin, I think, as well. Same thing, they're really heavily involved in the art space as well. So that art space, museums, those types of things, it feels like they're complementing different objectives throughout all those different rights holders they're working with. And what sort of objectives are they focusing on, do you think? Because they've got a pretty wide footprint. Like you said, Arsenal FC, but also the stadium. They've got Real Madrid, PSG, the FA Cup. But like they don't just focus on just football like Eddie had do. They've got cricket and golf and motorsports and rugby and Emirates Melbourne Cup, horse racing, that sort of stuff. Does that change the objectives at all? I feel like similar to Eddie had in the fact that that brand alignment, they're actually branding themselves as that premium airline brand. and But I feel like their spread across those different global rights holders gives them a better opportunity to build a different audience and build on or big, build a bigger audience of those blue chip potential customers or consumers for them as well. So they're definitely aiming at that high end, I think. Yeah, and particularly for sports and ones that have – a reasonable global appeal football clearly cricket not so much but lots of different tournaments that lots of people from different markets could travel internationally to so there's lots of opportunities for activation there feels like there's lots of crossover like there's lots of reasons that people could use etihad or emirates there to utilize those rights holders for sure absolutely what airlines next Mate, I couldn't go past Qatar and their partnership with the Sydney Swans. I was lucky enough to have coffee with a couple of their wonderful team members the other day. And we sort of delved a little bit deeper into into this partnership. Now, they, looking at their website and doing a bit more research into Qatar, there's, they've got a big partnership with FIFA, who those of us might have heard a little bit about, <laughs> uh, and the World Cup. And a lot of that comes from the next World Cup being in Qatar. 
outside of FIFA, Swans were really the only global brand that they're currently working with. All the rest were really locally focused around squash, around equestrian in that Middle Eastern region, whereas the Sydney Swans really gives them access to a totally different market. Now, Sydney Swans for me are an absolute blue ribbon brand, but I think globally they're not at that level that an Arsenal or a City football group. But is it because people travelling from this region, Australia, New Zealand, would use the Middle East not just as a destination but also a travel stopover on their way to Europe? Is that their play, do you think? I think it surely it has to be. And I think the difference is utilising the swans you get, straight away you'll get a huge amount of customer sort of apathy or buy-in or loyalty through the Swans membership database. Because there's this, there's always a siege mentality with Swan supporters. They always think they're hard <laughs> done by and the world's against them. As I was writing this piece, actually, I did receive a Swans member email from Qatar telling me I was getting 10% off for the next international flight with them. So yeah, well straight away, that, it, that they were speaking to me. And there'd been three times in the last few months that I, I either they I felt like they'd spoken to me or the play they were doing, the positioning they were making, I could feel Qatar were actually really talking to me. One of the potential issues maybe is that the Swans don't travel internationally. They don't go and play in Champions League tournaments. They don't go and play in World Cups or regional tournaments. It's all domestic travel in Australia. Does that does it hinder them or does it give them an opportunity in another area? I think, I mean, they're obliged to use a different airline to travel domestically because of a national partnership with, with the AFL. So I think for them, it becomes a, a smarter play around, it's not just brand positioning of we're using your product. You can use it in such a different way around how your fans can utilize Qatar Airlines or how your mascot flew to a certain part of the world or the team did a development camp or some players might have flown overseas for uh, end of season surgery, trips. end yep. of season trip, things like that. That's where I think they've been, feels like they've been really smart in that space. It isn't just how we use Qatar Airlines, it's how you guys can use Qatar Airlines, I think. Very good. And uh, what did you find out about our friends across the ditch in, uh, in New Zealand? A, a big play, and it makes complete sense there, is the All Blacks, New Zealand rugby in general. And so I feel like from the research I, I did, they definitely put a huge amount of focus into New Zealand rugby in general. And so then outside of sport, there were a couple of fun runs and marathons they did. And other than that, it was definitely a community focus. So I think what that insight really gave me was that they were getting enough cut through to a wide enough community through rugby that to complement those, they needed to step outside sport to really complement other objectives. They didn't need to rely upon a tennis or they didn't need to rely upon rugby league, et cetera, to get their message across. Rugby gave them a whole lot of oomph, and the other ones, the other rights holders, gave them that niche ability to talk to a different community, I think. And probably one of the challenges that uh, airline like Air New Zealand has is they operate in a, a small domestic and international market, like Qantas does, but much, much smaller. There's lots of other international carriers flying into the country. They don't have a lot of high-profile sporting events in the country, so it makes much more sense to, yes, sponsor one or two sort of big sports, but then look to engage the community so that when that community wants to fly either domestically or internationally, Air New Zealand becomes their choice. Next one. British Airways. So we're wrapping up near the end here, guys. I was kind of blown away by, in my research, the lack of 
current commercial partnerships really? British Airways had. The most recent I could find around the sports space was the Olympic Games back in 2012. So that was seven years ago. Other than that, I think they've been, feels like their above the line marketing play is really specific around being that traditional brand that we all know. I mean, in the UK, there's so much competition in that domestic space. And so I feel like they've decided to align themselves as that blue ribbon brand have that international feel and just target themselves through different ways rather than relying upon um, sporting partnerships or commercial partnerships in that space. So they were definitely heavily focused around smaller community supporting uh, initiatives. Who knows? We know that sponsorship exists as part of our marketing spend as a, as a, as a sponsor. Maybe they've figured out that the money potentially for them in that market, such a busy market, such a small country with so many people jammed into it and so many other carriers coming in and out of it, maybe they've just decided that their marketing money is spent better spent elsewhere. And, and being smart around those big events like the, the London Marathon and things like that, not, not really entering into those longer-term bigger deals that we see other carriers do, yeah. What about the U.S.? So this sort of brought it to an end as far as going through different regions. It was hard. I, I looked into Delta and um, United Airlines as well to get a bit of a snapshot with it being such a huge country. Same thing. Feels like a heavy emphasis upon local partnerships and really regional specific as well. So United Airlines have a truckload of commercial partnerships or community partnerships spread across the whole country. And they've been really sort of, they emphasize a whole lot of regions. So they, instead of having tried to talk to the NFL, they would particularly talk really well to the Seattle Seahawks and talk to that brand in that space and then complement that really large sporting engagement with a whole heap of little community partnerships around the side. So I felt like there was so much potential for them domestically that they, they hadn't felt the need or, or, or brand-wise or marketing objective-wise don't feel the need to speak globally in, in general. Interesting. So you've looked at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight airlines there with a really wide footprint everywhere from the UK uh, across through the Middle East, America, Southeast Asia. What sort of trends rose to the top for you? So there were four key ones for me. And, and, and the first one was sport is still the biggest player in that commercial space there as well. What I found after that was that arts and fashion still play a really huge role across a variety of regions. And I think it, that makes complete sense for me in the fact that those partnerships can complement with different objectives. You're speaking to a different client base, customer base. The interesting thing there for me is a lot of people... I say a lot, but maybe it's not as much as I might make out. But a lot of people just like one sport. I just like football or I'm a, I'm a big cricket fan. And sponsoring those competitions, those teams, those governing bodies almost cuts out other people. So if I just like football, I maybe not alienates the wrong word, but I might not engage with cricket lovers. And if, if we just absolutely love cricket and sponsor that, then I, I maybe exclude football where – you can be engaged with the arts and fashion and sport. So it's a it's a double down on it. Oh, I definitely feel that for sure. And I think what to complement that too, we see like a mix between local and global rights holders. So there's definitely a play, even those really big global brands like Etihad and Emirates have still got a really local focus where needed as well. 
And then to top it all off, I mean, this is a no-brainer, right? Airlines, like any brand, will have similar target markets and, and a brand image. And so therefore, their objectives are going to be quite similar around brand alignment, customer acquisition, those types of things. And really positioning themselves as a blue ribbon brand. A lot of the time, that was a, a common sort of trend I found throughout most of the brands, and especially because we we're looking at large global brands there. But similar objectives across the industry, which I guess makes it quite simple for us as rights holders to be smarter around how we start to talk to those that particular industry. It is interesting because there's not a lot of change in the sporting landscape. We had new competitions and, and things like T20 cricket and things like that, and we don't have a lot of new players entering the market. So it makes sense that there's they're fairly homogenous in terms of the objectives that they're trying to seek. How they execute them might be different, but it the objectives that a new player would go after if they came into the market or even emerging industries and areas like esports are probably a real target going forward, right? Yeah, we haven't really talked too much too deeply about that because I think there there are going to be some smart industries and airlines are probably one of them that are going to really double down in that space in, in esports. There's so many opportunities and, and stories to be told around the, the role that airlines can play in the formation of esports and, and the fact that we're talking technology and then aerospace is one of the oh, You wait till they kid out a plane and one team's playing against another team and they're in different planes around the world. Hey, listeners, you can take that idea and run with it. Not sure it's a good idea. Well, thanks for joining us, Sam. Listeners, if you want to read through Sam's thoughts in slow time and in detail, just head along to coresoftware.com. Sam, you got any trips coming up? I think this episode will go live in the next couple of days. So any trips coming up that you want to tell people about they can catch up with you? Oh, just a, a little bit of uh, domestic travel. But in August, we're actually working with um, Australian Sports Analytics Conference down in Melbourne at the end of August. So there'll be some more information coming out about that soon. But looking forward to attending that and really looking deep into data, insights, analytics, how sport in general are re- being smarter around decision-making. So that's probably a big one for us. Outstanding. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Daniel. One airline that has been very active in the sponsorship space is AirAsia, a Malaysian low-cost airline. It is the largest airline in the ASEAN, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, by both fleet size and destinations. AirAsia Group operates scheduled domestic and international flights to more than 165 destinations spanning 25 countries. And amazingly, they have been voted the world's best low-cost airline for the past 11 years running. Ben Rinja is Regional Brand Manager and joins us to take us inside sponsorship at AirAsia, including how they are involved in the ever-growing esports sector. Here's Ben. Ben, welcome to the show. We always start with some icebreaker questions just to get the show going and have a little bit of fun as well as we get to know you. Now, I'm guessing that you get some pretty sweet deals on flights. So can you tell us two things? What is your favorite destination to fly to? And what is one destination you haven't been to yet, but you really do have your eye on? Thanks for having me on the show. To answer your first question, I mean, I, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to fly to several destinations with, uh, with AirAsia and, and with other airlines as well. But I would say that my favorite AirAsia destination right now has to be Manila in the Philippines. I've traveled there quite a bit recently. We actually did a Thai Tuivasa flight clinic in Manila. He's one of our, our athletes that we sponsor. And when we, when we were out there, the local Filipino people were amazing, and, and Filipino food doesn't get talked about enough. So I can't, uh, I can't rave about Philippines more so than I can right now. Uh, in terms of where I want to go next, 
Uh, I've never been to South America, and I'm a big football guy. So for me, the Mecca is Brazil, if you will. Uh, and I really want to go out to Brazil. I, I've, I've got Brazilian friends everywhere, and uh, they're really they're great people. And and for me, I, I'd love to head to Carnival at some point. As well. <laughs> yes, that does sound amazing. Ben, when you jump on a plane, are you more of a watch as many movies as I can kind of guy, or are you a sleeper? Very, very easy question, and it actually frustrates a lot of the people that I uh, that I travel with for work and and for personal stuff. I, I'm a big sleeper on the plane, so sometimes I'll literally get onto the plane, put some headphones on, and before we we've even taken off, I am out. Uh, there was actually this one time we flew for, for a UFC event in Vegas, and I did a Tokyo to Los Angeles leg, which is a very long flight, and fell asleep before we took off and landed literally as uh, woke up literally as we were landing. So <laughs> it was a, it, it's a pro and a con I'd say, but for the most part, I get a lot of stick from the people that I travel with because I am not fun to travel with on planes. So I have to ask this last icebreaker question. Are you in favor of reclining seats or not? I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I don't know who is not in favor of reclining seats. <laughs> uh, I'm a big recliner. Sometimes, I mean, as I mentioned, like uh, sometimes the person behind me is fortunate enough to not have my seat in their face because I'm already asleep. But if I am awake for that brief period where the fastened seatbelt signs off, I will be putting my seat back for sure. All right, let's move on and get into the interesting stuff. AirAsia is the largest airline in ASEAN by fleet size and destination. So it's a pretty busy organization. As regional brand manager, what does the broader brand and marketing team look like in terms of size and structure? So first off, the broader brand and marketing team, it's um, AirAsia is, is, is unique in that sense in that um, – at least from the previous companies that I worked at before, our branding team and our marketing team actually function different or separately, if you will. They are there are two different departments in the in the company. Uh, the marketing team and the branding team. For 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 the people that I try and explain this this separation to, I would say that the marketing team's purpose is to put bums on seats. They are marketing things like tacticals, destination marketing. They're doing things like prices. The brand team, on the other hand, the role is to, I guess, create perception uh, and, and to instill brand loyalty uh, through things like messaging, through things like sponsorships, and to reach out to people that the marketing team might not necessarily reach out to. So branding and marketing, although we work very, very closely together, there are things that obviously overlay. For the most part, we work in separate departments. In terms of, uh, in terms of how it works from a HQ to a local level, so AirAsia is based, in, or the, the headquarters is based in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, where, I, where I'm based. But we also have brand and marketing teams across all of our AOCs. And so what AOC stands for is uh, Airline Operator Certificate. And what that means is that we're allowed to fly within that country domestically. So although we fly to a lot of markets, Korea, Japan, India, Malaysia, all these different uh, markets, there are only some that are, that are considered AOCs and some that we can fly within internally. So Australia is a good example. Australia isn't an AOC for us. So we only fly inbound and outbound, like destination-wise. We don't fly internally within Australia, whereas we do that within Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, et cetera. So within those AOCs, so Malaysia, Philippines, Thailand, Indonesia, for example, these countries have their own brand and marketing teams as well. So all these people work more more on a local level because there is a lot more, um, I guess, 
communication that needs to be localized in these countries. But the HQ team here in Malaysia, we not we don't necessarily oversee, but we work with those local teams to ensure that, at least from a global brand perspective, it works in tangent with other markets. So the local team takes care of local communications, whereas the brand team here in HQ ensure that all brands across all markets are at least aligned in terms of how the brand is being spoken about, what our logo looks like, and things like that. The teams locally are a lot smaller. They vary in size. Some some countries have maybe only one or two people. But the marketing team within those countries are is much larger because obviously that's our bread and butter. We wanna we wanna help people fly. We wanna ensure that our our messaging or, or our price points and and certain new destinations that come up are marketed to, to kind of drum up interest to that. The brand team kind of makes sure that if we are doing any sponsorships and whatnot, that ties in with, with what they're trying to do. So you split branding and marketing. In terms of that, what resources are allocated to sponsorships and partnerships specifically? And are they run as a defined area or is it the responsibility that it's mixed in with other branding and comms? Okay, so for the most part, sponsorship is handled by by the branding team, which is the team that I sit in. There are a few cases where I guess more or, or specific departmental events are are sponsored by that specific department. So uh, a good example would be the engineering department sponsoring an engineering conference. The branding team might not necessarily feel that that reaches a wider audience and would opt to not partake in that. But if the engineering team feels that they uh, they would be able to build a strong association with the engineering community themselves and want to sponsor an event like that, then they go ahead and do that themselves. We just make sure that our brand usage, so the logo, any wording or copy that goes along with the collaterals for that event is is in line with, I guess, what we do from a larger, larger perspective. So yes, branding is, I guess, in control of the sponsorships, but there are certain cases where where they go, uh, where departments kind of do the do their do what's best for their own department. From a brand building angle, a lot of the main sponsorships that we do are, are handled by HQ and then disseminated uh, disseminated down on a local level. So going back to the UFC, as I mentioned earlier, the UFC is uh, is handled entirely from group level. And I say group level, group and HQ, I, I will be interchanging those words a lot because those are the two terms we use uh, to talk about HQ. So. The UFC is, is handled from a group level, but whenever we have events in certain countries, we will be working with that local team and the local brand manager or marketing manager in that country. So China being a good example, the upcoming Shenzhen fight on the 31st of August, that's going to be, I mean, I'm, I'm now working with my, uh, my team in China to ensure that in terms of our brand, in terms of what we're doing, activating there, in terms of ensuring that we have a foothold in terms of what is being communicated with the UFC as well. That is handled by myself and, and the team locally. So in terms of resource allocation, uh, I think you mentioned, you, you asked that question just now. Um, we usually try and work with it internally. So again, use, to use the Shenzhen event as an example, we will be creating a booth as we do in, um, or as we have rather for all the UFC events. We've altered that uh, activation or that booth activation. So, for example, in Melbourne this year, we had a fighter flight cam uh, where you had a, a chance to win uh, flight tickets at the fight. It, it worked out very well. We had six winners in Australia fly to various destinations. Some went to India, some went to Thailand. And it was just one of those things where we tried to create buzz socially. But that, that working team, if you will, was all done internally. So the, the Australia team ensured that 
the people that made the booth. Basically, any cost-cutting measures were taken. Uh, we are a low-cost airline, so we do try and work as, uh, as efficiently as we can. So we have a creative team that designed all the creatives. We had the team on ground to ensure that any ticketing or anything that was uh, that needed to be handled was handled from there. And the only thing we outsourced was the actual making of the booth internally uh, at the stadium itself. So we really, really try and do everything internally. Our team is very strong, both locally and, and from a global level. And we have various teams that I, I, I guess are non-traditional to brands in the sense that we have our own internal team to do creative. We have our own events team internally. We have our own videographer team internally. So everyone is able to just to speak to each other well and work fast because we're all part of the same company. With regards to kind of spreading the sponsorship beyond the brand team, yes, we definitely do that. There are instances where the brand team has to work with the marketing team, has to work with the government relations team, has to work with our PR team. So when a project comes in, what usually happens is the brand team will take the lead. We will create the plan. Uh, we will ensure that there is a strategy moving forward and then take that plan and we go speak to the relevant departments that we think might need to be included. So PR is obviously a team that we work with very closely because anything that we do, we need to ensure that the media is covering it in the right way. The marketing team, if, there, if there's a commercial element to a sponsorship, so for example, the Suzuki Cup, which is a which is a, I guess a football tournament that happened here earlier uh, later at the end of last year in 2018, there was a commercial element where we provided coupons to fans uh, as part of the sponsorship. So there was a money making element to this uh, to this sponsorship, if you will, commercial element to it that the marketing team had to then go on and work on. I myself am not an expertise in how you would market that, but yeah, it's it's it, it works in a very cross cross departmental function. A lot of our sponsorships don't necessarily stay within branding themselves. We obviously have to work with other departments, but that really depends on the type of sponsorship and uh, and what we're trying to achieve with the sponsorship. We have noticed AirAsia start to play a much bigger role in sports sponsorship in Australia over the past couple of years. You mentioned UFC, which is an international organization, but for example, AirAsia are sponsoring the National Rugby League and Touch Football. Typically, what does AirAsia look for when entering into a sponsorship in terms of objectives? And does that really differ much between more traditional properties like the NRL versus maybe newer and emerging properties like esports? Yes, for sure. So to kind of speak on what you were mentioning about the local level, when we approach sponsorships, we look at the, what the property can do for our brand and what solutions the property can actually help us achieve. So it's we're not accepting every single sponsorship. We're, we're, we're a big company now, as you mentioned, and, and we do get a lot of proposals from different, from different countries, from different individuals, from different organizations. And we have to be really strategic about what we actually say yes to, because at the end of the day, if, if, we, we, don't, if we don't see the value in sponsoring something, it's pretty simple when we're not going to do it, right? whether it's from a cost perspective or brand messaging perspective or whatnot. So when we're looking at traditional sponsorships, like we have done in Australia recently, we are, so we work in, with the state of origin that just, uh, just, just completed versus our foray into the esports space, um, which we have been doing with things like uh, Team Manessi sponsorship, which we did last year. Uh, we've acquired a mobile legends team, Team Cyan, which, which, was a very, which had a very strong foothold here in Malaysia. 
Uh, and then obviously our larger sponsorship with the WESG, uh, the World Electronic Sports Games. The first thing we look at is is the demographic. Who who are they speaking to? Who is their target market? And then we we look at what the customer might want from a sponsorship that we're taking part of. So WESG is a good example. We were, I think we were one of the very first non-endemic brands involved with the WSG. And the reason why it was very interesting to get involved with that was because for the first time, there was going to be tournaments all across Southeast Asia. And uh, participants or people who are engaged with the WESG brand would have had to have traveled to all these different countries. So Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, Philippines. And uh, it made sense for us to come on board because as, I guess, an airline, there aren't that many airlines venturing into the esports space right now. It made sense for us to be their first person to the sandpit and then to make sure that everyone there knew that we were there and then offer different, uh, different, I guess, packages to these people to travel so that they can then enjoy the WESG property a little bit better. What we do when we, when we get that first point of contact with, with a customer that we might not necessarily have spoken to before is, is find out what they like through either, um, I guess, pre-campaign research, which we do internally again through our research and insights team. And then we cater our message to ensure that when we speak to them, we're doing it in the right way and in the relevant way so that they can win and then we can win as well. So for traditional sports, not necessarily an older crowd, if you will, but they're definitely, the, the esports crowd is definitely younger. I would say the, the age gap goes a little bit uh, into the younger side. So the, me- the messaging is completely different from when we speak to, to, um, to, to people within the esports space and then people, again, within the traditional space. But what we have at AirAsia is we have um, a sports campaign, if you will, uh, all sports mantra that uh, the branding team has been using and, and a lot of people have been using, and that's Dare to Dream. Dare to Dream is very, very much associated with how the airline began. Uh, our, our founder, Tony Fernandez, he had a dream. He started with two planes and bought the airline for, for equivalent of one ringgit. And, and now, many, many years later, we're, we're much larger. <laughs> Uh, and and he, it all began because he had that dream. So that dare to dream mantra has stuck throughout the airline story, and it makes sense to use it when we are uh, we're talking about sports because obviously athletes and and people who are interested in in sports they dream for for either their team to win or for for them to be the best in the world. And so there's very similar stories with uh, with what we're trying to achieve as an airline, but also what we're trying to achieve or, and other people are trying to achieve through the sporting world. I love it. It's almost like a, a North Star guiding mantra. So Ben, other airline partnerships we see, particularly in our region in Australia, typically center around a premium or high-end rights holders. So rights holders such as golf, horse racing, or tennis. How does AirAsia approach this space with the view of differentiating yourselves from other carriers? Just to, to take a little step back, I guess, the way that we have gone about our business from an AirAsia perspective is that we we truly believe, um, I mean, it's kind of in our tagline, now everyone can fly. We're not necessarily a premium airline. We, we want to cater to the masses. We want to ensure that everyone has the equal opportunity to, to travel and, and to see the world or, or to go visit their family. We don't want to put a label on who can and can't fly, either through a, a premium label or, or seeing or, or not, not, not being an inclusive brand, if you will. So in the same way that we, we try and be as an airline, we try, and approach, we try and approach our partnerships. 
So it's not to say that we don't partner with things like golfers or or we don't get involved in, in tennis tournaments, but we try and ensure that if we were to do that, we also have something else that would market to a uh, a market that isn't necessarily involved in that in those two or in, in in a premium one. So I guess in summary, when we try when we approach partnerships, we try and make sure that it's a partnership that everyone can be part of. And if it's not part of their world, then we ensure that we have another property that at least would suit their liking. So for example, we invest heavily in football because obviously the football is the world game. So it's, the, it's the most played game in the world. A lot of our markets here in Malaysia, Thailand, again, Australia to a certain extent, Japan, we, we have a lot of clout in the football world. I mean, our founder as well is an owner of Queens Park Rangers in the UK or part, like investor in that. Football is, is within our blood, if you will. So, for example, here in Malaysia, we, we sponsor the Malaysian Football League. We work with the NFL here. In Thailand, we support a, a football team, Mung Tong FC. They're, they're a local team in Bangkok. In Japan, we sponsor Nagoya Grampus. And in all these different areas, the reason why we support that is because either that is our hub or, or we try and strengthen our ties within the community that lives within it. There are instances where we have ventured into sports that that aren't necessarily in our in our main target market, if you will. So, I mean, the UFC is a very good example. It's been great for us because no other airline has worked with them before. So we were actually one of the first airlines that had that had worked with the UFC. And at that time when we when we partnered with them in early 2000, well, late 2017, they were just on their rise. There was that whole Conor McGregor buzz and and the UFC was starting to, well, if you will, it was already mainstream. It was almost a surprise to us that that no airline per se had got involved. So with them, it's been a great way to engage with a community that may have never spoken to an airline outside of just purchasing a ticket. Uh, so we, we had to position our, ourselves in a way that didn't come across as a hard sell. And I, and I believe that we really haven't, haven't pushed our UFC brand, but come at it from more of a, we're here, we're supporting your community. And we've done that definitely on a local level. And at the same time, we've, we've kind of educated a new set of uh, of people with about our brand and, and what we stand for and where we fly to and and I, I think both the UFC and AirAsia are, are championing being the best at what they do in their respective fields and I think a partnership made sense and it just was ensuring that we had to speak to the consumer in the right way. So on that front, how do you rely upon trends in the industry to guide your brand placement through sponsorships and partnerships? Or is it more of a case of seeing yourselves as disruptors? We definitely try and disrupt as much as we can. A lot of the airline players, um, regionally, globally, they, they try and they flood destination marketing down our throats. I mean, I was on Instagram this morning and I got a, I mean, I follow a lot of airlines just to see what they're doing. And a lot of their focus is on destinations. So venturing into things like sports for us is a great way to build association outside of the traditional travel industry and to let people know that we aren't just, oh, well, I mean, obviously we do care about destinations and ensuring people get to where they need to be, but we also have a brand message that we're, we're uh, trying to get out there through the medium of sports. With regards to trends, as I mentioned earlier, we do have our own internal uh, research and insights team led by Disha, who, who's, who's been a, who's been an amazing colleague for me because she, you could pick her brain about anything and she would have the answer for you. Um, so when, when we have campaigns around sponsorships, and especially if it's a new venture, 
I will definitely be, I will always speak to Disha and say, hey, look, Disha, we have this project. I need to know a little bit about what the consumer is like, what they have been, what they've been doing, how they've been kind of engaging with this property. Uh, and sooner or not, Disha will be able to give me a top line and then I'll be able to sit with my team and then kind of carve out a strategy for that sponsorship. So, I mean, a great example is with the recent Suzuki Cup, as I mentioned earlier as well. It was the first time that the Suzuki Cup, the AFF Suzuki Cup, had structured its tournament in a way where people were flying everywhere as well. So it wasn't necessarily run by a host country. It was hosted by the entire region. So each of the teams participating held one or two home games themselves. Uh, so we, we came in as a regional supporter, which was the third tier sponsorship available. So not necessarily, I mean, Suzuki obviously being the number one, and then a few other brands involved. Each got different entitlements, each got different ways that they could associate themselves with the brand or in terms of visibility and whatnot. But my job was to make sure that even though we came in as as the third tier, that we had as much visibility as possible and that the consumers that were engaging with the Suzuki Cup would see would wouldn't necessarily see us as a third tier. They'd they'd almost see us as as Suzuki's competitor. That was that was my main campaign. That was my main goal, if you will. And so when we did our post campaign research, it told us when I when I spoke to Disha and said, Hey look, now that this campaign's over, we we built the strategy. Tell me what worked and what didn't work. She was able to break down the different touch points that that we had used, so digital uh, kind of A boards on ground, uh, using booth space outside certain stadiums and whatnot. She told me what worked, what didn't work from a consumer's perspective through through her research methods. Uh, and then we'd be able to decipher whether or not we either continue the partnership or if we wanted to to pull out, these are the reasons why we're pulling out. So we haven't made that decision just yet. The Suzuki Cup happens every two years. So this one worked really well for us. There were a few things that I would have changed now that I, now that I have the research. And if there was another tournament that had a similar structure to AFF Suzuki Cup, at least I know now from a regional tournament what worked and what doesn't work. So the research and insights team definitely um, definitely play a big part in, help, in, in telling me what worked and then the trends that, that affected that. When an Asian brand sponsors a Western rights holder, what does... What do you think the Western culture sponsorship manager needs to understand and appreciate about Asian culture in order to help ensure the partnership is successful? I.e., how does managing an Asian sponsor maybe differ from managing a Western sponsor, do you think? Although we are an Asian brand with Asian roots, we definitely try and market ourselves as a global brand because we we don't want to set the confines of, of what we are. I mean, Going global is definitely an aim for us. We might not necessarily fly to certain markets right now, but there are plans on expanding uh, our, our current destination list. But in terms of how we approach a sponsorship, regardless of whether it's an Asian brand or a Western brand, we don't necessarily change our approach, if I'm going to be honest with you. The only form of, I guess, alteration is localizing that message. So Give It to Dream, for example, is a good is a good barometer to, to kind of measure this and we use it across all our markets when we do partnerships with brands that only work in a specific country versus working across the board western brands included dare to dream stays the same because that is what we want to communicate it's not necessarily how do we fit into 
oh, how do we make our, how do we alter our message to ensure that we're spoken to differently? We, we stick to our core, which is the Dare to Dream campaign or, or whatever campaign we need to be pushing across different markets. And then we figure out how that Dare to Dream mantra speaks to, to that market as opposed to the brand that we're working with. So it's, it's always about the market versus the brand. AirAsia have been involved in esports early on. We we touched on them a little bit earlier on in the show, but AirAsia has been involved in esports since early on, but not only just with sponsorship, but also in building Malaysia's first esports hub. What did and does AirAsia see as the appeal or opportunity of being involved with esports early? Because esports is clearly now big and it's probably only ever going to get bigger but what was the attraction the appeal or the opportunity that you saw early on and this is going to sound rehearsed but it's only because i've been asked this question several times <laughs> uh i mean as you mentioned areas has been involved in esports for a long time now we have a couple of advocates within the company themselves who are really pushing the rhetoric of of how important esports is to our early consumer base right um so why did we get involved early is a very simple question. I mean, a very simple answer. The gaming industry is where consumer dollars are being spent right now. Uh, so globally, the trend, and when you look at the numbers of, of what is being spent within the gaming industry themselves versus some other more traditional industries, I mean, I have the numbers here. Video games generate $137.9 oh, $137. a year versus $81 billion, which is for movies, and $19 billion, which is for music. So it literally is where the money is being spent uh, in terms of entertainment, if you will. So it definitely tries, it, from a brand's perspective, it definitely makes sense to just get involved with 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 that consumer base and, and to understand what they are, what what they like and what they don't like because they are spending the money. Uh, and and to move on from that, it doesn't actually become that surprising because when you look at it games live in consumer's hand i mean everybody has a mobile phone there are people who are casual gamers versus professional gamers there are people who used to be able to only play games together i mean i remember back in the days of the ps1 and things like that when networks weren't a thing and you weren't able to play against your friends unless they came over now you can literally sit in your own home message one of your one of your buddies across the world and you could be playing a game together so the, the, the technology that has happened over the last 10, 15 years of bringing people together through the light, through the through the world of gaming has has revolutionized, uh, for the lack of a better word, the way that money is being spent and then how people are engaging with games. So, Airways is we're we're moving into a very very digital space, and we ourselves are trying to become a digital company through the revamping of our Airways.com website, through the revamping of our ticketing platforms, and we want to be known as a digital company that happens to own an airline, if that makes sense. Because ultimately, a lot of the a lot of the ways that uh, the travel industry is uh, is changing is is people are not having to go to a sales office anymore. They could literally turn on their phone, book a flight, and be at the airport in an hour and a half. So, digitizing your business is 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 definitely the way to go. And and gaming itself is, I guess, at the very forefront of that. As a young company, we want to ensure that we, we stay relevant with the youth, uh, and esports is where our future demographic is is currently living. So, to even though we were the first, I mean, I I, I don't believe that that really matters. It for us just made a strategic 
made strategic sense to be involved with that because that is where young young future travelers are. So building a perception of the brand from an early age is important because it helps it helps instill loyalty. And we want to ensure that we remain relevant throughout our target market's entire lifespan. So if we get in there now, for all you know, they, they, will, they will remember us when they are no longer, I guess, young people interested in that specific thing. I find your story or reference to the PS1 hilarious, Ben, because I'm old enough to remember when <laughs> we used to have to go to the newsagents or the paper shop to buy <laughs> magazines with cassettes stuck on the front of them to stick them into our Commodore 64. And there was only about <laughs> one kid in every two or three streets that actually had one. So you are right, it's changed a lot. But last year in 2018, AirAsia signed a title sponsorship deal with Ali Sports for the WESG ASEAN tournament. Tell us what that sponsorship looked like in terms of what you offered, but also what you were looking to gain because AirAsia is a well-known and large brand in the region. So it couldn't have just been about brand awareness or was it? Okay. I mean, as previously mentioned, we, we try to promote all things ASEAN. We are based in Malaysia, but for the most part, our footprint is all across the Southeast Asian region and, and we we promote ourselves as a Southeast Asian brand. So the partnership with the WESG across Southeast Asia was actually a no-brainer for us because we were looking to venture into the esports space with a, with a big partnership. And it made sense because the markets that they were targeting were, were all ours, right? So it's currently the only tournament I, I, I know on a, on a large scale the way that they operate that works across all our markets. So it made sense because it not only made sense from a brand perspective, rather, but it made sense from a physical perspective. We had teams in all those countries that they were going to have their events. So when we wanted to ensure that, I guess, when it comes to thinking of a brand that dominates this region, regardless of whatever property it was, and in this case, it was esports, we are top of mind. Right? So you're right in saying that brand awareness, I guess, was not our primary concern for the sponsorship. It was mainly about building relationships with the organizers and, and investing heavily in this region, as I mentioned. So people will think of us when they think of, of the Southeast Asia community, the esports community. Previously, before the WSG sponsorship, we had only worked on a very local level. So we hadn't really had face-to-face with, with the community in Cambodia, with the community in Vietnam. And this sponsorship kind of tied everything together. It allowed us, it allowed us to have the same messaging across all the different markets while still remaining in the same property. Right? So as I mentioned again earlier, I mean, we had worked in the esports space, not necessarily from a team uh, organizational level, but more of a team level. So we sponsored Team Mineski's Dota team, which had an entirely ASEAN roster at, at the year that we worked with them. And they were fortunate enough to qualify for TI and do pretty well in it. Uh, they didn't win it, which was unfortunate. But I think that the idea that an ASEAN team did very well in, in a global tournament made sense for us to get involved with them. And we, we put a lot, of, uh, a lot of effort into marketing them as a, as a team. But the way that we structured that sponsorship was that we, we we built content around them. So for the first time, we were educating our Air Asia consumers, if you will, about an esports team. And I feel like the uh, the messaging worked worked well. And uh, eventually, esports then caught on and, oh, I say caught on, then kind of took over just being that one team. And it made sense for us to do it from more of a national level than just a team level. 
esports is still evolving and growing and, and quickly. And that means that the industry is still finding its way as things start to settle in and professionalism across all fronts really starts to develop and bed down. However, that can mean that those you are looking to sponsor might, for want of a better phrase, not have their house in order so much when it comes to sponsorships as well as longer established properties do. What metrics or mechanisms do you rely upon to know whether to partner in esports and are those different or, or maybe more lenient to what you rely on for more traditional properties you're involved in? Okay, so uh, it's a great question and we've actually almost been burned a few times uh, with regards to, to either new or old esports properties. So this this, uh, this question hits close to home. When we're, we're looking at potential opportunities within the esports space, we look at the ambition of the project. So we have been approached by, by a few companies that that have gone very large, but have not necessarily done anything before. So you approach those kinds of proposals with skepticism. But at the same time, you have to you have to understand that because this is a new space, people and there there is money involved. Maybe what they're planning, even though they've not done it before, is going to come into fruition. But again, you you approach it with with uh, with a grain of salt, right? In terms of, I guess the main reason, main thing that we look at is is what resources are are being put in from both sides. So what are they going to be putting into a project like this? And what do we put in? And if, if it's if it's balanced, it makes a bit of sense. But if, if it leans very much on what we're contributing, then I almost have a, a little bit more skepticism than I, than I usually do. So the esports space is, uh, is, is relatively new for, for non-endemic brands like us. And so we want to ensure that the partner we are working with has some experience in the field. I, I, I've not necessarily worked with uh, with a company that hasn't with a starting fresh and coming to us as, as their first sponsorship. Right? Uh, I want to be able to see their track record and and hope that they have achieved at least a little bit of what they uh, that they plan on on this new project. So, from an organizational point of view, we I mean we have spoken to the likes of like the ESL, which is obviously huge, and others who have successfully organized tournaments in Europe and the US and and had, had really large followings on Twitch, for example, on, on these different platforms that, that might not necessarily have a physical location. But there are a limited number of partners, at least here in Asia, that, I, that I, I've seen that have been able to pull off large events. And Ali Sports and AgriMind definitely made sense because they shared the same dream that we had for, for this industry. And they're really promoting, at least this side of the world, they understand that there's a huge potential within the esports space that hasn't necessarily been been tapped into within this area. Uh, and so the, the the investment that they're putting in and, and the resources that they're putting in made sense for us. And we're, we're really, prou- really proud about what they've achieved over the last few years and it made sense for us to get involved. Considering esports, so in the same vein, is an emerging sponsorship market. Do you find that those involved on the rights holder management side are more inclined to to go the extra mile to make sure the relationship is really focused on this and that the sponsor is happy because maybe they don't command the same portfolio that more established rights holders can it really depends i mean from our from our past work in esports we've worked on a team level as i mentioned with team nesky we've worked from an events level with the wsg and so with teams, you tend with teams with with Mineski specifically, 
you tend to get treated the same way as a professional, as a professional traditional team would, if you will. Uh, so to, to compare a football team and an esports team, the the entitlements that you get within the team is, is are very similar. I mean, the only the only difference is the the activity that they're doing. So what you get is, you, I mean, you get things like brand placement on their jerseys, you get content opportunities, you get meet and greet opportunities with the fans, and there is only a certain, I mean there are certain limitations with what you can do with them because ultimately you don't want to impinge on their, on their actual training or, or them being better athletes and things like that. So from a brand perspective, yes, you can do a lot. You almost have a template of what you can do with them because of the way that traditional sports teams have marketed themselves, but that template is, is limited, right? So with tournaments, with, with the WSG, I feel like you have a bit more clout, if I'm going to be honest with you, because you're able to to present your brand in a certain way, or you're, you're able to control the space that you have when the people are going to the tournament. You're able to customize your, your messaging, and you're able to work with the tournament and how they also distribute your message. So there are certain ways, or certain times where teams almost are restricted with that, but with tournaments, they have their own platforms that they market their tournament to or, or with, rather. And you're able to kind of communicate your messaging through their platforms as well as yours. So ultimately, I mean, both have pros and cons. Uh, and it really depends on, I guess, what the objectives you are, what you have going into a sponsorship. Do you ever complement your esports partnerships with your traditional sponsorships or vice versa, i.e., do you ever cross activate them? Uh, we haven't as of yet. I mean, our partnership with the WSG is, is just a year old. So I think the first year was mainly just to figure out and suss out what worked, what didn't work. Uh, I mean, we do have a lot of traditional sports properties that we potentially could do cross-promotional activities with them. But we ha- we, we've only just kind of learned our lessons from the first year. So the WSG starts this year, in, late this year. We will be building a strategy closer towards the time. And I think that if there's an opportunity to do that, then we, we definitely will. But as of right now, we have not. I mean, as I mentioned, we have a bunch of ambassadors around the region. In Australia, we have UFC heavyweight Tai Tuivasa. In Malaysia, we have Azizu Awang, who is a world champion uh, Kieran cyclist. And it would definitely make sense for individuals to be integrated into that, not necessarily our, our, our teams or event sponsorships. But when the right opportunity comes up, they will uh, definitely be involved. <laughs> What about working with other brands that sponsor esports? Are there any examples of you working with them in your sponsorship activation together? In terms of sponsorship activation, no. But we have a great relationship with Razer, obviously a, a big player in the in the gaming space. They've helped us with the development of our own internal esports space. So we have a in, in our in our HQ here in Malaysia in Red Q, if you will. That's what that's what it's called. We have an esports corner or an, or an Air Asia esports corner where it's it's fully kitted out with Razer equipment, and the reason for that is because we have a big internal club uh, as is uh, the Air Asia internal club, or Air Asia internal Air Asia esports internal page is, is live on Facebook. You you can go on that and have a look. The community is very large. It, it consists of members from all across our uh, all across our markets and all our staff who are interested in esports. I mean. There are League of Legends groups and FIFA groups and different different game platforms. There are, there are groups for all that stuff on, on our internal place and, and on Facebook as well. And so when we work with brands, we've not necessarily done it from a sponsorship perspective, but we try and promote our internal club 
and Razor is definitely a good partner for that. Other airlines are obviously key competitors to you, but do you take a broader view of the target market and really look at the other brands that are trying to engage with that target audience through esports as well? Um, although airlines are our main competitors in the airline space, we tend to look at who we're up against or at least trying to battle for visibility in terms of uh, when we approach certain, pro- certain projects. So to move the conversation back to football again, the AFF Suzuki Cup, is a great example. Uh, we were the airline sponsors and had category exclusivity. But my main competitors in this space, if you will, were other brands sponsoring the tournament. So an isotonic drink, 100 plus, uh, there was Honor Mobile, there was Men's Bureau Skincare and things like that. So not necessarily looking at airline competitors because when we sponsor something, there's a lot of, a lot of times what I'm looking for and what I try and fight for is exclusivity. Because the whole point of me getting involved is to, to push my airline. I don't need another airline to come and clout my message. So competitors come in all forms. As I mentioned, 100 Plus, Honor, all these things were our main competitors for Suzuki Cup. I was fighting against them for visibility. They were the team that I had to, I guess, beat <laughs> in terms of awareness and engagement. And so when I ran, when I ran the post-campaign research, for example, for, for the uh, Suzuki Cup, I wanted to use a third party. And I wanted to make sure that my results weren't skewed. And I think we, we, we did well in that sense because we did a lot better than our sponsorship tier put out to be. Quite hard to be the title sponsor, if you will, Suzuki Cup, and it's called the Suzuki Cup. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was difficult to, to kind of over-tumble them. But in terms of, I guess, the larger target market, we don't necessarily work within just the airline space. We, we try and, if we're sponsoring something, we try and, and come across as the best brand that we can in that. In that space. Ben, we often hear that the commercialization of esports is the next great frontier. When do you think this frontier is going to be reached and the esports market will be viewed as mature and as well understood as other rights holders' markets? And I'm also interested in, from a sponsoring brand's perspective, what you think the industry needs to focus on to actually get to that point. Well, to answer your first question, if uh, if I knew when the frontier of esports well, when, when it would when it would take over, I'd be a millionaire. I don't have the <laughs> exact answer. I wish I, I wish I did. <laughs> um, but honestly speaking, I mean the growth of the industry has been has been ridiculous. It, it's grown at such a fast pace from from it being just a casual gamer circle to to this professional sport that it is now. Traditional sports took decades to become. Uh, the business unit that they are today. I mean, the Premier League, a lot of people talk about how the Premier League makes all this money, but you have to remember that the Premier League started this a very, very long time ago. And to see the esports world and then certain tournaments and certain, I mean, the prize pool for TI, for example, being in its millions. I mean, the way that the, the game has grown uh, in such a short period of time is, is, is phenomenal. But I think that what will take esports time in terms of it's in terms of building its messaging, if you will. So the taboo of esports still being this, I guess, this niche circle is there. I mean, a lot of the adults that I, or I say adults, a lot of the older folks that I speak to who are in this space, who might not be, who, who, who are interested in media, who are interested in consumer culture, they still view esports as this thing that is played for, played by fourteen year olds and fifteen year olds. Or they they still see they still see it as gaming. They don't see it as a professional sport. Uh, so the, the what will take time is is the idea that 
esports and traditional sports are almost they're the same. They're this, they should be treated the same. The money that's put into them should be the same. And I think that although it's it's the the money part is there, the perception it, it isn't necessarily there just yet. What needs to be focused on for the industry to get there? I personally think the focus should be on leveraging its strength. So esports is one of those things where, where data is, is almost key, right? So the data gathered during the tournaments, like for online streaming, for example, you have you have your your who's viewing, how many people are viewing, where are they viewing from. Once you build these customer profiles of what they like and what they don't like, you'll be able to collect, I guess, correctly distinguish what the market looks like. And for sponsors like us, we can then work with these platforms or work with these different outlets and ensure that when we're spending our marketing dollars, we're doing it in the correct way. And I think that with traditional sports right now, like you have kind of this, you, you cast this wide open net in the hopes that you you reach the the people that you want to. But with esports, you almost have the exact information. It's always a really interesting point for me to consider and sort of mull over because there's a lot of rights holders out there that can't collect such minute data about their target audience and their viewership and and they just say broad numbers like two million people watched it but we don't know how long they watched it for where they were really engaged we're not collecting all that stuff and it sometimes it feels a little bit like the industry while they might not necessarily have the ability to do it i think it sort of feels a bit scary to do it because they might not like what they find now ben do you think the appetite for esports sponsorship is one that is a growing trend for AirAsia, so as in a percentage of your sponsorship portfolio, or is that percentage of what you put towards esports sponsorship roughly about where you think it'll stay at for the foreseeable future? Mm, I mean, we're still very new into our relationship with esports. Uh, I would say that it's only kind of taken off in maybe the last year. So the the relationship within within esports itself is we're still trying to figure out what we're trying to achieve we we have a, we have a direction and we are looking to get to it but the engagement with the community is something that I would rather do organically than than to kind of shove my face and invest a whole bunch of money into it so I, it's more about just learning it's more about learning what they like and i would say in the next maybe year or which we have done and then the year moving forward we're finding our feet and and the investment has been has been significant, but it's it's not been to the point of in comparison to our traditional sports. So for now, we are going with what has worked. The traditional sports activations and commercializations have been working for us. We know what we're doing in that space, but we're also building a case for what our future esports sponsorships look like. WSG being a good a good kind of test example for us. So you can definitely expect more in the future, but I think for now it, it will it will stay as is. And when we when we figure out what we can and can't do and what works and what doesn't work, then we'll be putting in a little bit more. I think it's a great approach because no doubt there's a number of brands that are watching this space very, very closely and seeing how not only the esports industry evolves, but also how sponsorship evolves 
along and, and inside it and they're moving second. They're letting other people be the first movers. But I think for a brand like Air Asia, there's a lot of upside to being involved early on and learning some of those lessons before the people that move second and come later and want to enter into the market again to be doing so when it's much more crowded and then they will be making some mistakes and, and, and potentially some some big learnings while other brands are really accelerating away. Ben, if people want to get in contact with you and find out more about AirAsia's e-sponsorship activities, what can they do? The best way to do that is just is, is to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I mean, I have, I, I've already got a ton of proposals and I've already had some great conversations with people on LinkedIn. It, it's probably the easiest way to, to contact me. And we will put a link in the show notes at coresoftware.com. Ben Ringer, Regional Brand Manager, thank you so much for taking us inside eSports sponsorship at AirAsia. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. I, uh, I look forward to speaking to you in a couple of years when I have some answers for, about uh, where, we, where we've come since this conversation. Loved that chat with Ben and I love their approach to esports and being early adopters in the sponsorship space because while the return on objective and return on investment might not be as perfect or as strong as other rights holders opportunities, it is still there and they can learn and adjust and even help shape the industry instead of sitting back and trying to enter a crowded market with no experience in the years to come. I also love the idea of chatting to Ben in a few years time and seeing what has changed from this chat, what they do the same what they've learned and just where it is all moving towards so stay tuned for that as ben mentioned you can connect with him on linkedin and we put a link to his profile in the show notes at coresoftware.com if you want to connect with me you can do so on linkedin just search for daniel oyston or drop me an email at marketing at coresoftware.com or on twitter using the handle at sponserve and if you want to connect with core software's director for customer strategy and success Australasia, Sam Irvine. You can catch him on sam.irvine at coresoftware.com or search for him on LinkedIn as well. Don't forget you can follow us on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search for Sponsor. Until next time, I'm Daniel Oyston, and thanks for listening to Inside Sponsorship. Thanks for listening to the show. For more episodes and to subscribe to the show, search for Inside Sponsorship on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen to your podcasts. Also, for more free industry-specific resources, including blogs, ebooks, white papers, and our Insights newsletter, head to coresoftware.com. Finally, be sure to follow Core Software on Twitter and LinkedIn.